Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the podcast, Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast where we will center and continue to cultivate the stories of Black and brown people who are negotiating independent school culture and where they go from here. My name is Gina Parker Collins. I am the mom of two independent school scholars and founder of Resources in Independent School Education, better known as RISE. And I'm coming to you from somewhere in my house in New York. Ooh, yes. And my name is Sam Osborne. I'm an independent school alum, RISE volunteer, and creative. I was previously a New York City fundraiser living in Brooklyn, and now I am pursuing my MBA at the Wharton School of Business. And we're here to talk about the challenges, celebrate the wins, and introduce you to some really great folks you need to know about. For all things articulating, you can follow us on Instagram at articulating. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we welcome Indie School alum and Senior Associate Scientist Advisor, Nathaniel Garcia. Recently, Nat and several other alumni of color from the Browning School launched the Panther Mentors to build a stronger network for enrolled Black and Brown students. We talked about his experiences while at the Browning School and briefly talked about his work at Pfizer, researching and helping to bring COVID vaccine to market. Nathaniel is a proud alum of Prep for Prep Contingent 22 and the Browning School's Class of 2006 and is a founding member and co-chair of the Browning Panther Mentors. Nathaniel earned his Bachelor of Arts in Biology from the Manhattan College. Upon graduating, Nathaniel joined Pfizer's Vaccine Research and Development Department, where he plays an integral role in both the development of immunoassays and the preclinical NHP study throughput for the COVID vaccine program. Nat also currently serves as the external impact lead for Pfizer's Black Colleague Resource Group at Pearl River. Yeah, so I think I might have been a core leader by the time you started coming around. Um, You're a couple years younger than I am. Um, But yeah, 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 your voice in in those rooms and, 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 you know, those so well-supported opinions. I remember those very vividly. Um, Yes. I'm happy to see you doing well. It's good to see you. Oh, well, likewise, Nathaniel. (laughs) Um, It was was very fun, you know, sort of catching up, going through all the articles and just seeing all the latest developments. Um, I'm still embarrassed by those, by the way. It's it's, it's weird having articles written about you and your experiences. Um, I I feel like a proud mom. I feel like I had a hand in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I I really believe it, um, that those interactions that we had in those those places and in those spaces, that those were so impactful that we left pieces of ourselves with everybody that we touched, right? Just because of our our experiences were so similar. Um, 100%. So, yeah, you take all the credit you want. Feel proud. Tell people that you're you're totally responsible for this success, girl. <laughs> well, you know, so the Deus component, and I, I think there are folks that may not know Deus Diversity Awareness Initiative for students. Yes, shout um, out to the Marables. 
That yeah, shout out to the Marables. Absolutely. Gotta love it. And and to your point, it was sort of your first step into uh, uh, the, your first lesson in self-advocacy. Um, uh, it, there were a lot of times we met up and I didn't even realize it, but a lot of people were working through, you know, traumas. They were working through so many, you know, toxic experiences that they had to deal with by themselves up until Deus. And um, it, you just learn to, you know, find your voice and you take those tools with you back to the classroom, to college, to Pfizer, you right? know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to Wharton. Right. Y'all have done good. Maybe describe what your journey uh, was like um, and what you took to get to your independent school. Brown. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, first, thank you guys for having me. Um, tremendous honor. I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. It's incredibly important and really, really impactful. Um, and, and as women of color in this community, you got to know that you guys are, are more than pulling weight. Right. Um, but, uh, about a little about me, what I do, I'm, I'm a scientist or a senior associate scientist, more specifically in vaccine research and development here at Pfizer. Uh, most recently I have had the honor of working on the COVID-19, uh, vaccine and I'm an assay development. So with that is a fancy terminology for saying that I, design or my team rather i don't want to take too much credit i'm a very small cog in a very giant machine right um i uh my team is responsible for designing the experiments that show how well our vaccine candidates work um if, if that's succinct enough and understandable right that works for me yes awesome and great a very awesome. important cog nat <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um a little bit about my journey um <clears throat> So I guess humble beginnings, right? I'm from the Bronx, the northeast side of the Bronx, the Baychester area. Um, shout out to the Five Train, if anybody is familiar. Uh, horrible, horrible service, but yes. near, near and dear to the heart, right? Um, <laughs> and Dyer Avenue, Dyer Avenue. Dyer yeah, I'm on Baychester right there, right next door. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, humble beginnings. And I got to say, it starts with my mother. Um, she, incredibly brilliant lady. And um, was always on top of me about my schoolwork. I owe a lot of my, my success academically um, to her and all of the many efforts that she, she gave to make sure that I stayed on the right track and got all my assignments completed. Um, so much so that I, I performed well enough in, in public school, right, um, to be selected for entry into the Prep for Prep program. Prep for Prep was the way that I got into inter school. And for people that are not familiar, it's a 14 month. Uh, boot camp, so to speak, right? <laughs> uh, and they, they essentially catch, you know, uh, the highest marking or, or percentage public school kids, and uh, they prepare them for private schools or, or, or uh, college preparatory programs, right? Um, and so that's a little bit about my journey to Browning. Um, and I got to say, Browning was my number one and only choice. It wasn't necessarily the choice of my parents. They, they were a little bit more attracted to the bigger name schools, the uh, the Daltons, the Horace Manns, the, uh, you know, you know, the, the other ones, right? <laughs> Not to give too much credit away. Um, but yeah, um, I why just really it, liked it. Matt, why was it number one for you? Yeah, and, and getting to that. So there was a kid in my class named, at, at prep, um, during the summer, your first summer, you will share the summer or, or your advising crew with uh, people that are about to leave the program, right? So a little bit of mentorship going on there. Um, and in my unit, there was a gentleman named Christian Hayden. 
and he actually ended up matriculating at Browning. Christian. But I really liked spending time with Christian. He was a good dude. And I got to tell you, Browning just kind of felt like home when you, when you walked in. Um, it didn't at the time have all of the fancy gadgets and, and the beautiful facades that some of the other larger schools had. Um, and it was a really intimate community. And, you know, everybody there was just so happy, you know, and it's not often. And I was coming from a public school environment where students were not happy to be in school. <laughs> right. Um, and not only that, these kids were wearing ties and blazers and they were still having a good time. <laughs> and so I remember that sticking with me. And, and of course, Christian's antics and singing throughout the halls during the day that I visited. And uh, what sealed the deal for me really was uh, there was a, a lunch aide named Ruby and her special barbecue chicken was what was served that day. Wow. Done deal. Done deal. <laughs> so to speak. You had to tell admissions that. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Ruby, Ruby was definitely the, uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And then my mom, you know, obviously pulling my leg and trying to put, force me to one of those other larger name schools or ones with uh, the more illustrious reputations. Um, I was kind of like, no, mom, you know, you made me do this prep for prep thing. You know, you forced my way through it, kicking and screaming. I've never been able to go out and do things on the weekdays. This is something that is important to me. And this is an experience that is going to be mine and my own, right? Um, and, you know, after a little bit of coaxing, you know, she finally caved and, 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 you know, conversations with the administration at Browning and, and, you know, I guess the rest is kind of history, right? Well, could you connect those dots actually? The, um, could you connect the Browning to Pfizer and just what that journey looked like? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely it's not an easy connection. It's not a linear one, I'll say, right. Um, there are a few dots in between. So, uh, after I got out of Browning, um, I really was tired of school. Um, and I had to that point had experience with Deus and, and a couple of other event planning um, ventures. And I thought for me, I would rather be my own boss. I'd rather be an entrepreneur. I had been looking into it. And this was really what was uh, my passion at the time, right? Meeting and interacting with people and uh, kind of getting their stories and, and showing ways that I could, you know, make my contribution, but be impactful in people's lives, right? Um, and for me, that avenue, as much as I, you know, really loved science at that time, um, I didn't really want to study anymore. Um, I really wanted to get out and, and start making my own, my own way in the real world, so to speak. Um, but that uh, came with a price, right? My mom and my dad were not happy about that at all. So again, I had to do a little bit of pleading. I had to make my case and I had to, you know, how about I make you a deal, mom? If in five years, I'm not a millionaire, I'll go back and get this stinking bachelor's degree that you want me to get so bad. And she said, um, no, how about four years? Four years, the same amount of time that you had to get that bachelor's, show me that you can be successful in business to the point where you're a millionaire and I will shut up forever about it, right? So four years later, uh, needless to say, I was not a millionaire, still am not. Um, <laughs> uh, but something else that was really impactful for me happened. My mother actually passed. Um, and prior to her passing, like a few months prior, or, or maybe even weeks, actually, it wasn't that long before, um, she had given me a present. And she and I would trade books often. Um, she, obviously, I wasn't in school anymore, so she wanted to make sure I was still learning, right? <laughs> You're going to read at the very least, uh, even if it's recreational. So she'd give me books, and I was notorious for bending the pages to her books, which drove her nuts, right? <laughs> she hated it when I bent the corners of her pages. So she got me a bookmark. Um, and on that bookmark, it read, uh, George Eliot, right? Um, it's never too, too late to be what you might've been. Wow. And 
to me, it, it was really, that was her way of saying, all right, I don't see these millions. Time to get back in school, right? Little did she know it'd be the, probably the most impactful gift she's ever given. Um, obviously, shortly, shortly thereafter, she passed. And um, that was really it for me. It kind of kickstarted. I was fortunate enough to be selected for an internship program at uh, Wild Cornell Medical College in the city. And I struggled. I did not have the technique and the nuance to make the same kind of impact that I had been used to making in academia, right? I had always been a big fish in a small pond, right? 12 kids in my class at Browning. And when I went back to college, you know, Manhattan College is a smaller school. And I actually started my career at a community college, at Bronx Community. Um, But I had consistently gotten straight A's, right? When I got to Cornell, first of all, everybody was good at this. I wasn't a standout. Um, And not only was everybody good at it, everybody was better than I was. (laughs) <laughs> me being the perfectionist that I am, that kind of drove me a little bit crazy. So I, I spent a lot of long hours, um, you know, putting putting the work in, so to speak. And uh, I came out the other side really, really endeared to laboratory life. And so that was a little bit of an awakening experience for me. So once I graduated with this degree in biology, I was maybe a semester or two away or removed from my uh, internship. And there was the pulmonary immunology lab, lab and at, uh, at Wild Cornell Medical College. And um, I started to think, what could I do? use this degree for? If I'm not going straight to medical school, you have a couple of options, right? As a, as a biologist, you can teach, you can do research, or you can go to industry, which is pharma. And at the time, I was working as an EMT at the site that I'm currently now. I was on the security shift uh, as an EMT. Pfizer keeps security staff on, I mean, the medical staff on the security team, just in case something happens that their scientists are protected, right? Um, and I bumped into a, a good friend of mine in the hallway one time. I said, hey, you know, I just got this degree. It's in biology. You guys are biologists, right? It, are there any openings? And she was like, give me your resume right now, Nathaniel. I watched you struggle and work these weekends and work these overnight shifts for the last three years. Give me your resume right now. We got to make something happen. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, um, I was admitted or accepted or hired, rather, um, as uh, into the support team. And then when a position opened up in assay development, Again, that network worked for me and somebody reached out and said, hey, I think you'd really be great for this position. You should check it out. And a couple of months later, um, I was hired into this group. Three months after that, I went out for knee surgery. When I came back, it was December of 2019. And by March of 2020, I was knee deep in COVID vaccine research. So it's been a little bit of a world. So I know that was a very long answer, Sam. <laughs> but to connect the dots from Browning to Pfizer, there were a few hey. trips that I made and, and, and stops along the way. Well, you know what? I, I, I have a, a perfect question for you. Um, what was it? That was a lot of tenacity that you expressed right there. I mean, you know, your willingness, first of all, to go against the grain, to be an independent thinker, to uh, negotiate with your mom. Mm. And, that was the hardest part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. To then move into um, maybe some non-traditional spaces after an independent school education, Absolutely. built relationships, grinded, did what you had to do, and here you are now. I'm really curious. What did you learn at Browning that perhaps allowed you to make the moves that you've been making quite successfully? I think in its simplest form, I think grit is really what it is, right? Um, and, and that's the name of their, their publication, their news publication, right? The, the grit. Uh, and it's really one of the things about Browning, along with a lifelong uh, love of learning, that, that really stuck with me. 
Um, not only that, I am the, the son of Caribbean immigrant and uh, a hard-nosed uh, Puerto Rican guy from the Bronx, right? Um, and so slacking wasn't ever really allowed, right? And so that's at home. But when I got to Browning, now, you know, you have all of these challenges and stereotypes that are, that are um, you know, put in your face. And you have to be your best self, right? Not, not just good, but twice as good in most cases. Um, and so that grit and also, I, again, my parents are incredible. Um, but at Browning, it was definitely the grit and, and so, so to like keep up with the persistence and, and, and persevere. But also they taught me how to learn. Um, they, they allowed me to figure out my strengths in, in academics, right? To, to not only what to know, right? What's important for you to do well on these tests that say that you're smart, um, but how to most effectively go about retaining this knowledge. Um, and once you have given enough practice to that, right? Once you've figured out the way that you best retain knowledge, um, a lot learning new things becomes a lot easier. Um, and so I think those two things, right? The will to persevere mm. um, or, or grit, and then um, also how to learn best for me. And apparently you had, um, you've, you've mentioned that you had access to faculty members, administrators who planted yeah. the STEM seed for you. And I think that's such, a, such an important uh, component to this journey that I think a lot of students of color miss, um, which leads to the lack of representation in STEM careers in the future. Um, and so it, it's Johnny Cook and Cynthia Jackson, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Johnny Cook, uh, brilliant black man, sci black scientist, biologist that that, that taught that. me um, uh, biology in the ninth grade. I want to say, um, never let me take any shortcuts, never ever. And I, I distinctly remember one time I just didn't do the homework or whatever the reason, right? And I gave him some whatever. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Cook, I didn't do it. And he said, "You're not sorry." So what do you mean? I'm I'm sorry. He said, "If you were sorry, then you wouldn't have done it in the first place." Like, oh, had to think about it for a minute. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, no, but he's right. But he's 100% right. You know, if you were really, if this meant that much to you that you would be sorry, then you would have made sure it was done in the first place, right? Um, and that kind of took that message with me through life, right? Not only just about homework, right? If it's important to you, don't allow it to become a mistake. Um, and then Cynthia Jackson, she taught me anatomy and physiology in the 11th grade. Um, she was an incredible educator. And, I, and, you know, she thought that I had the teacher bug. She often would tell me, you know, you'd be an incredible teacher. You'd be an incredible teacher. You should be in the front of classrooms, leading and changing minds for the future, right? Um, and I like to think that she is, is correct. I, I do enjoy teaching and, um, you know, imparting knowledge, so to speak. But um, I find ways to do that still, right, without necessarily have, having to be a classroom teacher. Um, and so, you must be the rock star of the of the family right about now. Are you not? I don't know about that. Um, I have a lot of impressive relatives, and I love them all. Love them. <laughs> <laughs> when I go the vaccine, I don't know. I do get a lot of questions. I do get a lot of questions. Oh, <laughs> oh for the hookup, for the family, the family discount, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that, guys. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Not not with this. No. That's for sure. All right, let's hang up then, Gina. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> you thought you were getting something out. <laughs> What's most important in my journey is the discipline that my parents had in making sure I fulfilled my obligations as a student, right? My dad had his job. He was a mechanic. He worked all day and night, and he came home. But this was his job, right? My mother was an accountant. 
she went to work and at when she was done with with work she came home and made sure that everything was all right in the household um my job was keeping the room clean taking out the garbage and doing your homework and not just getting it done it better be right because mom's gonna check it and if it's wrong you're gonna have to stay up and do it anyway right <laughs> good west indian family that's it right you know that structure is so important though right um and i think i don't i don't know if it's necessarily society's fault, but the onus really does fall on, on the family, right? It takes a village. It really does. Um, amen. and if, go ahead, I'm sorry, Gina. I'm just saying, amen. As a mom yeah. <laughs> that's very active in, um, you know, I'm not waiting on my schools to get it right. 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 And, and you have to children's first teachers, right? Life, lifelong teachers, right? For as long as you are alive, your children should be learning from and not just your children, that's everybody around you. You're supposed to impact people like that. You're supposed to leave a fingerprint on the things you touch, you know? Um, but for me, it, if you aren't fortunate enough to, you know, have the access to these schools or have the money for the tutors or whatever the case may be, if you don't live in the, in the neighborhood where, you know, the schools are great, it's on you. If you want your, your legacy, your, your family line to be successful, you got to pull that weight. And it's, it's tough, right? When you have, you know, obviously a lot of the obligations that people from our communities, my home communities have, um, but, you know, you, priorities, you got to make sure it happens. You know, and that sort of makes me wonder, Nathaniel, I'm going to call you Nathaniel for the rest of this, I guess. Um, cool. <laughs> I don't know. So you, you speak so positively of the Browning School in a way that is um, very unique for a student of a student of color at independent at an independent school mm -hmm. um but i also think i, I mean there's a, I, I almost want to take what you say with a grain of salt because you know it sounds like you came from a very you know supportive you know two-parent household if i'm correct um I, I even remember in high school you just had such a sense of self um maturity which is why you were a core leader in dais and i was not right um and you know i i just see your involvement in the school now and i just feel like that's just such a unique relationship um would you say that other um students of color that you came up with at the browning school sort of share in that experience um not everybody right and i think a lot of the resentment that 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 people that uh had you know traumatic experiences and not to say that my experience was 100 percent okay right obviously when you interact with people from different backgrounds things are going to be said that aren't necessarily 100 percent okay um and with you're, you're locked up with you know the same 20 something guys for seven years they're going to be disagreements during those disagreements, things are going to be said, you know what I mean? Punches may fly, you know, regular boys school stuff, you know, but I think that responsibility, I'll start by saying Browning was always at the forefront of making sure that anytime something like that came to fruition or, or was, was brought up to the, uh, the school, they did something about it. Now there were times where, you know, somebody's punishment may not have been as severe as a person of colors. Um, but those kinds of relationships weren't necessarily, you know, um, put out there in the forefront, right? So depending on the relationship that some students' parents have with the institution and how much money that they donate, right, they get a little bit more leeway, you know? Mm -hmm. um, for me, th that was just my understanding of how the world worked. That wasn't the fault of Browning, right? 
people have these views outside of these walls. And it's obvious for me because when I get off of that train on 59th Street and I have to walk to 62nd and it's a dress down day, people cross the street. But when I have my blazer on, they don't mind walking by me. You know what I mean? So these kinds of, and that dichotomy, right? The, the, the tale of two cities. When I'm living in the Bronx and I, I did have a house, right? And, and I, I did have a front yard and we, we lived a very, you know, middle class life, right? <laughs> Lower middle class lifestyle. Um, but that 96th Street stop, the complexion on that subway changed, right? And, and so that's always in the back of your head. Well, this is just the way the world works, in my opinion. And so I didn't necessarily fault Browning for having citizens of the world as students and as faculty members. Our stories are important and obviously unique in many ways. Agreed, agreed. Um, I want to take, take us back to over the summer, mm -hmm. the Black At movement. Um, we saw students, current students, alumni, family members, parents, um, faculty members, um, all coming out around the time of um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's um, untimely passings, um, talking about their experiences at independent schools and sort of holding these schools to the fire. And what was interesting was you were vocal as well. Um, and you had a very interesting stance. Um, and I'm quoting this. You, you said, and I, I forget the platform, but you basically said, it's easy to stand with an institution that's accountable and willing to do the work to make it right. Um, and that really stuck with me. Um, I'd love to know what motivated you to speak out in that way um, and just sort of maybe behind the scenes, maybe what you were contemplating um, when you did that. Yeah. So um, it started when, you know, early in the summer, there were a lot of things going on on the internet surrounding the black ad movement, right? It was, it was picking up a lot of speed and I had noticed and I was waiting for it, but Brownie didn't have one. Um, partly because I think, Overall, people had a very positive experience, um, but also partly because of that same family dynamic that I was mentioning before. Uh, and nobody really likes to see their family dragged, if that makes sense, right? So if you didn't feel like you were one, right, or invited at your independent school, it wouldn't make complete sense why you would make some information like that public, right? And um, for us, it just wasn't like that. And that's not to say that we didn't have moments that we felt small or, or that we felt, you know, outnumbered or not represented, right? There's, there's always those conversations when you talk about slavery and everybody turns around, what does a black guy think, right? Um, and th <laughs> you know, uh, but for me, it, that's really what it was. So Browning, in probably an effort to get ahead of the black guy movement, contacted a bunch of their black alumni. Um, and 25 of us got together in a, in a Zoom call in, on January 25th, I remember like it was yesterday, and the, the ranges in graduation year were from 1972 to 2018 um 72. and so we had i know that blew my man my 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 man <laughs> i was what? on that video call and when he said 72 i was like wow yeah yeah dennis that's my boy man that's like my uncle dennis right so um what was what was shocking about that conversation though is first of all the love in the room that we all had for the institution. And we were telling some pretty traumatic stories, but all of them were framed with laughter. 
all of them were framed with, oh, but, you know, such and such got at that whatever faculty member, you know, nipped that in the bud right away or whatever the, you know, follow up was. Um, but what's saddening to us is that across 50 years, the details were different, but the stories were the same. Right. I felt marginalized when this happened or when somebody said that or you know what I mean? Uh, we all had those common common experiences where there were there were points in our education that we just didn't feel like one of the guys in that moment. And not to say that, you know, those bonds were broken eternally. Uh, but in that moment, something rubbed me the wrong way about what was said. And it had to do with my identity as a man of color. Um, that said, we all were pretty fired up about getting involved. And we had been seeing the black hat and, you know, when is it going to be Browning's turn? And, and I don't necessarily think that's the, the route that we want to go. We all look at each other like family. So you don't, you know, you don't want your dirty laundry out there. Um, so Browning gave us that platform. And with that platform asked us, what can we do? And that question and it is, is really what's important. And John Biden came out with a statement um, following George Floyd. And in the statement, I, I, forgive me, I don't remember the entire thing, right? But one of the things that stood out to me is that he said, uh, for those of us that were surprised by the George Floyd killing, and those of us that were not. And it was like, oh, maybe he gets it, you know? Maybe maybe he understands that this this place, this country is not the same for everybody living in it. Um, and, and this is John Body, um, head of the Browning School. Head of school, yeah, head okay. of school. Um, sorry, I probably should live with that, yeah. Um, and then we had a conversation with the institution, with the faculty, the head of the, the, the board of trustees, um, the administration, and there were, there were easily 12 represent, representatives of Browning in that call. And they listened to us patiently. And that call ran maybe three and a half hours. And it was scheduled for one. And everybody stayed. And everybody listened. And at the end of that call, we came up with a, a list, a written document, uh, which I co-authored with, with a, a few of our, uh, the other mem members of the Panther, Panther Mentors, uh, Greg and some more. Uh, we, we incorporated ideas from all of us. Um, but we presented that list. And Browning responded. And in Browning's response, every point we made in the list had an answer. And not only an answer, they raised us on our request. So if we asked for uh, representation at the, at the board level um, with, a member, with two members of the board to be men of, uh, that identify as black males, um, one of the, the Panther mentors, Greg Springer, is already on the board. Right. And a couple of other ones are, are in talks right now. Right. So um, and that's within six months. Greg was on that board and they, they highlighted for us, you know, the ways in which that they're trying to get better. And they showed us that we have been thinking about this and not only have we been thinking about it. Here's what we plan to do. Right. And so it's not just, you know, tell me about your experiences. It's how can we make the experiences of the men that are here now, the gentlemen that are here now and the ones to come a better one. Uh, and that's really what the difference in tone and action were, was from all of the other independent schools that were mentioned in Black App, right? They came out with a press release and, oh, we're looking into it. But what have they done since? What part of the programming um, that you all have designed thus far that you're really excited about, Nat, with the Panther Mentors? Well, actually, it's still very early on, right? We haven't even had our first official meeting yet or been introduced to uh, the upper school as, as yet. Um, but we, we've come up with sort of a, um, and I don't know if this is intellectual property or not. I doubt it. I'm, I'm hoping well, what, that what we well, do. 
Yeah, you, you want to brand it and make it your signature, so you can make it as you can make it broad. You can okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what I what I would love is actually for people to listen to this and say, hey, that sounds like it could work, and maybe we should do something like that in my school and tweak it and, and mm. apply it. However, you know, it would be best or, or most conducive to to you know the goals that you would like to achieve um, at your respective institutions. But what we would like, to, what we wanted to do was um, first of all increase diversity get more people of color in the door. But once they're there, what do you do with them? Right? What do you, what do you do? So um, we came up with a sort of like tiered um, system where we'd be connected to an upper school student. That upper school student would be connected to a middle school student. That middle school student would be connected to a lower school student. So there becomes this, this network or a chain of relationships yeah. that go from hopefully pre-primary all the way through to 12th grade and then beyond. Right? Mm. Um, and what's impactful about that is Browning is such a small community that you're going to see these guys in the hallway, right? Now, you don't necessarily have a reason to speak to a 12th grader when you're in pre-primary. Mm, but right. if this is the, the head of your mentor chain, you'll see him. You'll give him a high five in the hallway. He'll check on you. He'll ask you how you're doing, right? How's the homework? How are you finding this? Oh, I remember when I had that class. This is what I did to get around that. Um, and not only that, when those, those instances come where you feel small, there's somebody that's in that same exact seat that you're sitting in just a few years at, uh, ahead of you, right? Um, and that's important because you get to see, okay, I don't feel good about what, what is happening right now, but this guy's probably been through the same thing. Mm -hmm. and he made it. You know what I mean? He got through it. So how did he do it? And then you have those resources, right? So, and, um, and that's what we're looking to do. Those familial networks that you know, our white counterparts have, because their families are successful and they have generational wealth, we need to build that in our community. And this is our way of doing our part. The whole idea of having alums back in school is a, I, I, our schools are excited about that, especially the development department. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is like, I've been trying it because not all black and brown students necessarily want to come right back. There is, and, you know, I've been there, done that, uh, I've moved on. So Ralph um, is, is one of the students at Browning that didn't necessarily always feel at home, right? And um, up until the creation of the Panther Mentors or that, that uh, conversation we had over the summer, he had not really gone back to Browning because it's not some place that he really had a great time, right? Um, and that's completely understandable. But um, when you have the ability to, to make the kind of impact, right, or, or be the person that makes it home for somebody else, right? Or to be the adult in the room that says, hey, you know, um, when I was feeling like that, this is what I did. And that's, that's really what Ralph is. Um, he didn't have a great time, right? He, you know, he got, did well, you know, and he had a bunch of friends. Ralph was tremendously popular um, and an idol to me. Ralph was an older guy. He was, he played, he was the point guard in the basketball. I wanted to be Ralph, right? Like, <laughs> um, but again, once he graduated, that connection was never made in the school. So there's really no reason for me to return, right? Man, and for him to feel that sense of calling and to to be able to be that to someone that he couldn't find during his time as a student, that's amazing. And I think it's also amazing, uh, you know, you talk about 
these students, you know, looking up a year or two um, to their mentors or sub-mentors, mentees. And I think what's so great about this is that at the very top of the chain is a Nathaniel, a, um, you, a Ralph, a what have you, and yeah. for them to see just what being part of the Browning community looks like, what they can become, um, having that exposure to STEM um, in this very, you know, unique, refreshing way. Yeah, and that's, that's actually what my favorite part about it is. Um, I had known people that, or, or professionals that worked at Prep for Prep that had gone through inter-school and been successful, um, but there was, I wasn't able to really connect like that, right? There, there wasn't that same sense of, you know, we've been through the same things. And I, I know we did, right? I know you went to inter-school and I know you're brilliant and I know you did well in college and now you're giving back to the community as, as a, an employee of Prep for Prep. But there wasn't anybody that had sat in the Browning classrooms and taking the teachers that I had taken and struggled in the classes that I had struggled in and you know what I mean? And, and gotten our butts kicked on the same soccer fields. Right. And so, <laughs> right. And so those kinds of the, the, the tell me a little bit about yourself. Proximity, yeah. Yeah. Right. When those conversations become much more familial, right? Like you can be more candid with somebody that you, you know, that they've walked the same path as you. I, I just love that the shots you guys all took the Panther mentor uh, photo with the matching masks. That was really Those cute. masks were nifty, right? Yeah, I want that, was, that was a Time Magazine cover. Um, as we close, you've been so generous with your time, Matt. And um, again, you're doing some really tremendous work out here with COVID and the research and the vaccine. What would you say to a family who's, about to find out whether or not they've gotten into an independent school. Um, let's say that they've, they've gotten in, right? Let's just say they, were, they received an invitation. What are three things that they can utilize to make sure that they are thriving in their school communities and not just surviving? We often talk about that. So what three things, what three tips would you give a newly accepted family? Um. I think the, the first thing that uh, I would say is don't be afraid to ask. Um, a lot of times coming from our environments, you don't want to be the one taking the handout, right? You don't want to be the one to admit that you need help or that you're in space that you've never been in and you're uncomfortable and you have no idea what you're doing and you need some guidance. Um, I think that it's really important. And I've, I've learned that in my professional career. Don't be afraid to ask questions, right? Somebody around here has the answer and we just have to get to it. Um, and depending on which independent school you choose, they're really supportive now. They are very, very, very supportive of people of color and they're starting to understand. I know Browning does. They're starting to understand the plight, right? Um, the other thing that I would say is, is be present. Um, you need to build those relationships just as much as your, your son or daughter in these schools does, right? You need to be present. And it's important. And I, I know when I was in school um, and I spoke out of turn, my teacher would never hesitate to say, I will give Marlene a call right now. All right. <laughs> right. But if my mother wasn't present, they wouldn't have know her name or be able to threaten me like that. Right. <laughs> uh, be present. Ask questions. Um, and I would say also create a network amongst yourselves. Networking is so, so, so important. Um, and also your experiences are not, 
they're, they're unique to you, obviously, but they're not so different from what other parents are going through. I guarantee it. And you, we are all stronger together. That is for sure. Uh, did you lead any affinity groups or participate while at Browning? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all of those things are very, very encouraged at Browning. Uh, they, they pride themselves on creating a complete gentleman, so to speak. Right. So nobody just plays sports. Everybody, you know, I, I played sports and I sang in the chorus and I was in the multicultural club and I went to the, the SDLC conference and I went to people of color conference. Right. Um, and I participated in dais. And so all of those things are highly, highly encouraged. Thank you so much. This was uh, exciting. You are our first, uh, well, actually, you're our second alum, our first COVID scientist, though. <laughs> Hopefully the last. Hopefully I can maintain that crowd for a while. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that should um, be the title. Honestly, we should just title it that. <laughs> thank you guys right. so much. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Keep fighting the good fight. You know, it's not easy work that you guys are doing, and I, I know you... you especially in the middle of a pandemic, you guys are being pulled in a million directions. Uh, but uh, what you're doing is important. What a perfect time to have Nathaniel. Between his work at Pfizer and at the Browning School, I don't know how he found time to record with us, Gina. Yeah, totally gracious. Thank you so much, Nat. You know, as, as I said, Sam, I was on a call and was so blown away by Nat and the other Panther mentors recently talking to prospective parents about their commitment as alum of color to their school and to the next generation of black and brown boys and young men coming out of Browning. So, you know, ultimately we knew we had to have Nathaniel. He's such a great storyteller. He sure is. And, and I can't believe that event was in January. It was, it was a couple weeks ago. I, I think a lot of people are fighting the good fight right now, and they might be concerned that um, maybe we're losing momentum from last summer's um, protests and outcries, um, but it's really not too late to hold these institutions to the fire about the commitments they made to their communities last summer. I know this won't be the last time that we hear from Nathaniel Garcia, and it certainly won't be the last time we hear from an illustrious indie alum of color, and we hope that you, our listeners, stay tuned for more priceless insights from articulating guests. Um, if you, and that was a tongue twister, if you enjoyed this episode, pass it on to a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That works for Sam. That works for me. So thank you for joining us. We're really excited about our next episode. So be sure to follow us on our new Instagram page. And it's called Articulating, but here is how it's spelled. A-R-T-I-C period U-L-A-T-I-N. I'm just so excited we got an episode under our belt.